What's going on, Christ Central? It's my honor and privilege to share with you from God's Word today. Now, you may not know me, but I've known Pastor Harold for a few years now, and I've been following along with what uh, he's doing and with what Christ Central is doing. Uh, Christ Central is doing, uh, and so I've been rooting for you guys for many years. Um, so glad to meet all of you today, albeit virtually. But I do look forward to meeting you in person one day soon. I'm also glad that I get to preach to you this week because I know that Pastor Harold is on sabbatical uh, for a few months. And as a pastor, I know what a blessing it is to have that time to recharge and rejuvenate the soul. But I also know the increased responsibility it leaves on those staff who are tasked with covering in his absence. So I know uh, that this can be a time for him and for the staff uh, that it, it can be particularly challenging. And so I'm just a pre I am just glad that I'm able to fill in uh, in this way as possible. Um, but I know sermons are supposed to end with the exhortation, but I'm just going to get this one out of the way right up front. Would you pray for Pastor Harold and for the staff of Christ Central today? That this time would be a blessing to him and to the staff and thereby be a blessing to you and to the church. 2020 has been crazy so far, hasn't it? I mean, remember back when we thought that the Australian bushfires or that Kobe Bryant were going to be the biggest story of the year. And then the global pandemic of the coronavirus hits and we're locked in quarantine, which leads to the rise of anti-Asian racism in America. But in a way, all of that has taken a back seat since May 25th, when we all saw the video of George Floyd. Now, if you're anything like me, you have, you've had to take a long, hard look at yourself, our country, and our black brothers and sisters in this country. In fact, after taking a long, hard look at myself and a long, hard look at that video, I could see myself in that video. And I wrote a post on Medium about how as an Asian American, I have been looking away from the racial injustice for far too long. That long, hard look at myself, that long, hard look at that, that video, that refusal to look away from racial injustice, that introspection and examination of the scriptures leads us to what we will talk about today. I want to tell you about a man a man who was born into a situation where he was naturally discriminated against. A man who you could tell was different just by looking at him. A man who would never receive the same access or opportunity in his society just because of how he was born. It's a story of injustice and oppression and privilege. And it's a story of Jesus. But this is not a story from 2020. This is a story from 2,000 years ago. This is the story of a man born blind that we read about in John chapter 9. John chapter 9 is 41 verses, and I don't have time to read it all, but I believe it's all important, and I would encourage you to read it all tonight or this week or reflect on these things uh, that I'll be talking about today. Now, in verses 1 through 12, the disciples are walking around, and they see a blind beggar. And so Jesus spits on the ground, and he puts mud on the man's eyes, and he heals the man. The blind will see. And then... All of the people rejoice, they bow down, they worship Jesus, and the blind man is carried off as a hero of the faith and regarded as a leader within his community and actually no, That's not what happens at all. Jesus heals the, the, Jesus heals the man and immediately the neighbors start questioning. Wait, isn't this the dude who was blind and was begging? And some say yes it is and some say no. Wait, are you saying that all blind beggars look alike? Because that's kind of messed up. What is clear is that the neighbors only could identify him by his impairment and by his poverty. 
He is a blind beggar. They didn't actually know who he was or what he looked like. People only saw him based upon what made him different and not for his individual humanity. So in a sense, yes, all blind beggars do look alike because all you see is their impairment and their poverty. Now, eventually, they end up bringing this blind man before the Pharisees because Jesus had healed the man on the Sabbath, the Pharisees being the influential religious leaders in that society. And so we pick up this story in the scriptures with the man standing before the Pharisees. They brought to the Pharisees the man who had been born blind. Now, the day on which Jesus had the mud had made the mud and opened the man's eyes was a Sabbath. Therefore, the Pharisees also asked him how he had received his sight. He put mud on my eyes, the man replied, and I washed and now I see. Some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others asked, how can a sinner perform such signs? So they were divided. Then they turned again to the blind man and said, what do you have to say about him? It was your eyes he opened. The man replied, well, he's a prophet. They still did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight until they sent for the man's parents. Is this your son, they asked? Is this the one who you say was born blind? How is it now that he can see? We know he is our son, the parents answered, and we know he was born blind. But how he can see now or who opened his eyes, we don't know. Ask him, he is of age. He will speak for himself. Now, his parents said this because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders who had already had decided that anyone who acknowledged that Jesus was the Messiah would be put out of the synagogue. That was why his parents said, he is of age, ask him. A second time, they summoned the man who had been blind. Give glory to God by telling the truth, they said. We know this man is a sinner. He replied, whether he is a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I do know, I was blind, but now I see. Then they asked him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? And he answered, I already told you. I, told, I have told you already and you did not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciples too? Then they hurled insults at him and they said, you are this fellow's disciples. We are disciples of Moses. We know that God spoke to Moses, but as for this fellow, we don't even know where he comes from. The man answered, now that is remarkable. You don't know where he comes from, yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners. He listens to the godly person who does his will. Nobody has ever heard of opening the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. To this they replied, you were steeped in sin at birth. How dare you lecture us? And they threw him out. Whenever I read this passage, I always thought that the focus of the Pharisees' inquiry was all about Jesus, that the Pharisees were only looking to discredit Jesus and that they were using the blind man to try and find a way to get Jesus in trouble. And that's definitely happening. However, as I grow as a human on this earth, I'm beginning to recognize some other dynamics that are at play here as well. What I'm beginning to see is how the Pharisees were seeking to invalidate the blind man's experience with God. Was it because they didn't believe he was healed? Well, no, because they could clearly see that he was healed. Instead, they question whether he really is that beggar who was blind from birth. They question his parents, whether he really is their son. They question his account, whether he really is telling the truth. In other words, they question his identity, his upbringing, and his testimony. But you have to ask the question, why? Why would the Pharisees doubt all of these things? What's the big deal about it anyway? Well, the Pharisees were encountering something that they couldn't understand. 
a man healing on the Sabbath and healing a man who was born blind. Something they didn't have experience dealing with and it didn't fit into their understanding of how the world worked. So how did they respond? How did they react when they were faced with this challenge to their status quo? First, they feel threatened. When something comes along that doesn't work the way that they're used to, they, they tried to find ways to invalidate the experience because they felt threatened. Things work a certain way. It has always worked this way for me. It has always been this way. You don't heal on the Sabbath and God doesn't use sinners. Therefore, this Jesus is a liar or the blind man is a liar. They had no tolerance in their religion for a God who used a person like Jesus. So they feel threatened. But that's not it. That's not all, because second, they dismiss him as a person. Their thinking was, if God were to show up, he wouldn't show up to someone like this. They question him over and over and over again. When you read through the passage, it's actually exhausting because of the lengths that they will go to not believe the things he's saying. Eventually, the blind man gets so fed up that he sarcastically asks the Pharisees, do you want to become his disciples too? Which in the original Greek translates to, bro, why are you crushing so hard right now? Now, naturally, the Pharisees get pissed off and they listen to what, the, and, and now listen to what they have to say to him. They, he said, they, they turn to him and they say, you were steeped in sin at birth. How dare you lecture us? In other words, you're of a lower birth. You're a lower class of person. We don't have to listen to you. They had no tolerance in their religion for a God who uses a person like the blind man. They feel threatened. They dismiss. And finally, they physically restrain him from speaking anymore. In verse 34, it says they threw him out. When the, the Pharisees don't hear what they want to hear, they physically restrain him from continuing to speak. They throw him out. The problem goes away. They no longer have to deal with his reality. It's not their problem any longer. They feel threatened. They dismiss. And they physically restrain him. When the people who were in charge were faced with someone that they could not relate to, who had an experience that they had never had and who was saying things that threatened their status quo, they don't really know what to do with that. So they feel threatened, they dismiss, and they restrain the man. Now, I hope you're seeing what I'm saying here. I hope you're seeing what's at stake here because we're not just talking about the Pharisees. We're not just talking about 2,000 years ago. In this story, you have a group of people who are in a position of power, a privileged position of power. And you have someone who comes along and challenges the privileged person's perspective. And how do the people of privilege respond? Well, you feel threatened, you dismiss, and you physically restrain. And doesn't this feel true and real to us today? Do you believe that this is still happening today? Because this is not 2,000 years ago. This is last week. This is last night. And this is today. Do you see the people of privilege feeling threatened, dismissing the experience of others and physically restraining them from speaking out? You question their identity, their upbringing, and their testimony. They're of a lower birth or a lower class. You stop listening, you dismiss and disregard, or you physically restrain them from speaking. You're no longer allowed to speak. Your experience is not my experience and I do not have to listen to you. When you can't deal with them philosophically, 
or emotionally or verbally, you deal with them physically. I mean, we're reading John 9, but we're also reading the news. And in these places, we are seeing people of privilege be challenged and reacting the same way. Now, friends, I wish I had a nice big bow that I could tie on this sermon for all of us. I wish I could wrap this up with a poem and a prayer and send you off to a nice Sunday afternoon. But I think back to my former self who would look away far too often and far too easily. And instead of wrapping this neat little bow around it, I want all of us to lean in a little bit. Because this is the moment. This is this this is the decision for us to engage with the issues of racial injustice. And frankly, we may even be a little late to the party, but today is better than tomorrow to start. So when I think about what our country has gone through these few months, but if we're being honest, it's not been months, it's been years, it's been decades, and yes, it's been centuries of violence. I wish I could tell you something that could explain it away or make it go away, but I can't. Because when I see the video of George Floyd or Ahmaud Arbery, when I read about Breonna Taylor or Botham John or Stephen Clark or Philando Castile or Alton Sterling or Sandra Bland or Freddie Gray or Walter Scott or Tamir Rice or Michael Brown or Eric Garner or Trayvon Martin or Amadou Diallo, or Rodney King, or Latasha Harlins, or Fred Hampton, or MLK Jr., or Emmett Till, or the millions of people whose names have been forgotten or never known to begin with. When I read these stories, and now when I read John 9, I see a people of privilege who have built a system that is threatened by their experiences. Things work a certain way. It's always worked that way for me. It's always been this way. And it's dismissive of their persons. You're of a lower birth or a lower class. They stop listening, they dismiss, and they disregard. And they physically restrain them of their power. They throw them out, the problem goes away. What I see today and what I see in John 9 is eerily similar. So I realize that the idea of privilege is not new. The idea of privilege, the sin of supremacy is not new. It was not invented by white people. It was not invented by American people. Power begets privilege. And when privilege gets challenged, they threaten, they dismiss, and they restrain. To deal with the problem of privilege, to deal with the sin of supremacy, is to deal with the sinful conditions of the human heart. But when I finish reading through John 9, I see a savior, Jesus, who touches the blind man and heals him of his pain and gives him a promise at the end of chapter 9. We pick up in verse 35. It says, Jesus heard that they had thrown him out. And when he found him, he said, do you believe in the son of man? Who is he, sir? The man asked. Tell me so that I may believe in him. Jesus said, you have now seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking with you. Then the man said, Lord, I believe, and he worshiped him. Jesus said, 
For judgment I have come into this world so that the blind will see and those who see will become blind. When the blind man gets thrown out by the Pharisees, and I don't want to make something clear here. There's nothing wrong with the blind man. This is an insider-outsider dynamic, not a more than, less than dynamic. There's nothing wrong about the blind man that makes him, there's nothing about the blind man that makes him less than the Pharisees, but there's something that makes him an outsider. And frankly, it's those on the inside that force him to the outside. His impairment does not make him less than the Pharisees. It's the Pharisees sitting in the seats of privilege that render him less this is not a human dynamic. This is a societal, man-made, power-begets-privilege dynamic. And what it actually reveals is the true blindness of this passage is not, that of the, is not that of the blind man, but it's of the Pharisees who render the blind man less in their eyes. That's the revelation of their spiritual blindness as they're judging the man's physical blindness. They see him as an outsider in their eyes, but not in God's eyes. When the blind man gets thrown out by the Pharisees, Jesus finds him again. And he says, the blind will see and those who see will become blind. In fact, in this whole passage, Jesus was the only one who believed the blind man. And he was the only one who touched him. In fact, he restores all of the reactions of the privilege. They feel threatened, Jesus approaches. They dismiss, Jesus believes. They physically restrain, and Jesus touches and he heals. So when the blind man was cast off by the people of privilege, who was there with the promise? Jesus. And he says, the blind will see and those who see will become blind. In other words, he's saying, I will work to dismantle the power structure of the privilege system. I will value those on the outside, thereby revealing the blindness of those on the inside. The blind will see and those who see will become blind. Make no mistake who is favored by God in this story. My seminary professor once told me that when reading stories like this in the gospel, look to see who leaves blessed and who leaves condemned. Jesus works against the power structure and blesses the blind man and leaves the Pharisees condemned. The blind will see and those who see will become blind. Now I want to close and say this. You can find yourself in this story. You may not want to, but you're in there. You need to look, not in the story, but in our hearts. Because I say this as a person of color. So I know I'm the blind man. I've been called chink. I've been told to go back home. I've been underestimated and overlooked just because of what I look like. I am the blind man. But all of us are. I mean, every single one of us has been the blind man at some point in our lives. Dismissed and thrown out, overlooked and forgotten. But I say this as a person of privilege as well. So I know that I am the Pharisees in this story. And if I'm being honest with you, as an Asian American, I've been given the option to passively accept the benefits of the privilege system. If I'm being honest with you, as an Asian American, I have been given the option to passively accept the benefits of the privilege system. I know I am the Pharisees, but in a way, all of us are every single one of us. What I want, what I pray for all of you is not to see ourselves as a person of color or see ourselves as a person of privilege. I want to see myself with Jesus in this passage, embracing those who have been thrown out 
by the people of privilege and standing for justice against their system. Not simply passively accepting the benefits of the privileged system, but actively working to dismantle it. Find yourself with Jesus, who in the very nature of his coming to us and dying for us, embodies the very thing that we're being challenged to do. Jesus sees those who are lost and forced on the outside, sinners, and he goes to them, to us, and he finds us and he embraces us. And he dismantles the system of sin that oppresses us, dying on a cross to dismantle the system of sin and oppression. And that's what Jesus has done for us. And that is what Jesus wants us to do for others. So if you want to find yourself with Jesus, find someone dismissed by the system and listen to them. Believe their experience. Find out their perspective before applying yours and pay for their meal because they're giving you a gift. Value those on the outside. Give them a seat at the table. Amplify their voice. Do that and you will be working against the privileged system. So find the dismissed, the disregarded, the vulnerable, the oppressed. Find them, approach them, believe them, touch them. Work against the power structure of the privileged system. The blind will see and those who see will become blind. Find them and you find yourself with Jesus. Amen. Let us pray. God, thank you for this day. Thank you for this example of this man who was born blind and his encounter with Jesus and his encounter with the disciples to be able to show us who we should be aligning ourselves with in this story. Because it's not the blind man, it's not the Pharisees, it is with Jesus himself who has taken the step to approach us and to touch us and to heal us. And so God, we ask that you would give us the strength, that you would empower us to do the same for those that have been cast off by the system, that you would give us the opportunity in our lives to reach people and to touch people with the same power of the Holy Spirit that saved us would be an opportunity for us to reach other people as well. God, I pray for this church. I pray for everybody listening and watching this video. I pray for the staff and for, the, uh, for Pastor Harold and for this whole church and for all the leaders. We pray that you would bless them and that you would sustain them and that you would lead them into the battle against racial injustice and against the privileged system in this society. We pray all these things, a blessing upon this church. In Jesus' name, amen.